My name is Andrew. It's great to sing with you. Great to think about the truths that we're singing. We're no, I know I'm unworthy, but because of Christ, right? And uh, I think you'll see that in the sermon this evening as well. And uh, as if you look at your outline, you'll see that it's on prayer. And so my sermon is not to discourage all of us, even though I think if I was to take a poll, we would all agree that we could be growing in, our, in this area of spending more time in prayer. But uh, if we are going to live a disciplined life, we're talking about discipline and dependence, if we're going to live a disciplined life hard after God, it is crucial that we spend time in prayer with God. And I hope to demonstrate that through the sermon this evening. But uh, a well-known writer, R.C. Sproul, wrote this about prayer. Prayer is the secret of holiness, if holiness indeed has anything secretive about it. If we examine the lives of great saints of the church, we find that they were great people of prayer. Listen to this. John Wesley once remarked that he didn't think much of ministers who didn't spend at least four hours per day in prayer. What about Martin Luther? Luther said that he prayed regularly for one hour every day, except when he experienced a particular busy day. How do you think he's going to end there? Then he prayed for two hours. Okay, so we find godly men and women in the past, in the history of the church, who ran hard after God and they took very serious the amount of time that they spent in prayer. And I'm sure that if you have a mentor here at Grace Bible Church or, or godly saints that you know here within our church body, I would imagine that what marks them is that they spend time in the Word of God and they spend much time in prayer. George Whitfield, who was an evangelist who preached, uh, they would say, almost two or three sermons a day for like a long time. Uh, he said, it's more important that you speak more with God than with other men. And yet he was one who is always in the open field preaching the gospel, and yet his focus was on prayer. Well, I've just mentioned a few godly men but what does the Bible have to say about this importance of prayer? How really important is it? And so the next thing is, why pray? And to fill in your blanks, how God uses prayer is for His glory and for our good. Okay, so grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, and we are going to take a look at how Paul, in his prayer, how it brings glory to God, and how it's good for His people. And that's my focus. It's not going to be a tight exposition of every word and every phrase, but I want to see how He elevates God and how it's good for people. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to read the whole section through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm teaching on prayer and so I should just stop right there. We'll shut our Bibles and we'll go be done because that is a great prayer. But I want, you guys are supposed to laugh a little bit, but that's okay. Um, I guess I'm not as funny. But, um, but we are going to investigate this a little bit. What's going on in Ephesians, if you've read much of Ephesians, is there is glorious truths of the riches in Christ. And then Paul moves and says, the Gentiles now are part of this body because of Christ. And so verse 14 says, for this reason. It's a pointed prayer. For this reason. Paul's laboring with these people, with these Gentiles, and he wants them to grow more like Christ. For this reason, right? I bow my knees before the Father. Now in Scripture, nowhere does it say that we have to be on our knees when we pray or we have to stand up or we have to do it. But I think it's very significant that he says, I bow my knees because that shows Paul's understanding of who God is and that he realizes that I am just a creature, not the Creator. And so I bow my knees before the God. It's an act of humility. He gets on his knees. But I think it's also significant later. Before the Father. He's not saying I bow my knees to a God that's somewhere way out there that I don't really know. Or somebody who is my judge. But instead he says, before the Father. That kind of language, it, it makes you think of intimacy. It's a Father and Son relationship. He's saying he's getting on his knees before the Father. So there's humility, but there's also closeness in his prayer. He recognizes this. And verse 15 says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now I need to clear up this just a little bit. But not all people on earth get to call God Father salvifically. Those who are saved, those who have trusted in Christ, who have recognized their sinfulness, they recognize before God, I'm, I can't cut it, and that they trust in Christ. Now they have become sons and daughters of God. Now God is no longer judge, but Father. And so salvifically, unbelievers cannot call God Father, they call Him and relate to Him instead as judge. But, so then what, is, what exactly is Paul saying in verse 15? From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That seems like it's talking about the Father. And it is, but derives its name is different than when we think of like our last names where we're kind of grouping together or, you know, my last name's Alberta, so we have family reunion. It's huge because I've got a whole bunch of family around here. And so, we, you know, we all get together. But 
God is saying that he, everybody has their significance. Everybody has their life because of God here. And so, in a sense, all, cre- all creation, all people are in the, our God is Father to them, but not salvifically. He is in control of them. He is the authority over them. And so, if you just stop and think about how he opens this prayer, he's bowing his knees before the Father who is intimate, but then he also knows, God, but you are over all people. Your authority is over everyone. And verse 16 says, that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. And so now, what is amazing is here's a request that He would, that God would grant you. And I love this because how does this elevate God and put humans where we ought to be? It's because Paul recognizes, guess what God, I don't have it. I'm asking you to do something here because I am a mere man. And you are God. You are God. And so he's asking God, would you grant according to the riches of His glory? And that is such a fascinating little phrase, the riches of His glory. It, it, it also, it's helpful because it's His perfections. Out of His perfections, it's not just wealth, wealth of His perfections, but also His willingness to give of His perfections, of His glory. God, would You, according to the riches of Your perfections, of who You are, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Oh God, grant this from who You are. It, it reminds me of the psalmist often. He say, oh God, be merciful to me because of your loving kindness. He's saying, because of God, who you are, be merciful to me. I'm going to cling to who you are as God. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So He's asking God for strength. And I just... I just can't help but we know, and yet sometimes we don't live this way, that God sustains us. That He is the one who's doing things in our lives. He's the one that gives us life. And I love that prayer reminds me, and it reminds Paul, that we need to be asking of God because we don't have it figured out. We are limited in our power. We are limited in our understanding. And so, prayer humbles us. I love John Calvin. Well, he's dead now, but I love what he said about this. He said, still, it is very important for us to call upon Him. That's God. First, that our hearts may be fired with a zealous and burning desire ever to seek love and serve Him while we become accustomed in every need to flee to Him as to a sacred anchor. I love that word picture. I'm going to repeat the end of that. While we become accustomed in every need, everything, every single need, to flee to Him, that is God, as to a sacred anchor. Secondly, that there may enter our hearts no desire, 
no wish at all of which we should be ashamed to make him a witness while we learn to set all of our wishes before his eyes and even to pour out our whole hearts. Thirdly, that we would be prepared to receive his benefits with true gratitude of heart and thanksgiving benefits that our prayer reminds us come from his hand. I love what John Calvin says about prayer and how it humbles us that we recognize God's power and that we're going to Him. That we lay out our whole burdens and our whole hearts are bare before God. And some of us are going to say, well, God already knows everything. Yes, He does. And I I fully affirm that. But there's something about Even though we know God knows everything, getting on our knees or getting somewhere and just pouring it out. We just need to let it out. We just need to communicate with God. And so I love what John Calvin said about that. And so back to Ephesians. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted in and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And so Paul's already humbled and he's praying for these people so that, what, here's, here it is, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And at first when I read that I thought, well, that's salvific. But no, it's not because right before it already talks about His Spirit. And we know that when we believed, we were sealed with the Spirit. That's already earlier in, if, that's already earlier in Ephesians. And so that Christ may dwell or make His abode or be normal, be at home in our hearts through faith. And that they would be rooted and grounded in love by the power of God's Spirit. And so he's calling out that these people would, maybe in another term, live like Christ. That Christ would be on their hearts. That they would live according to the Gospel that they've been called. Or as Colossians, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. That is his prayer. Verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. And this is where dependence comes because we need to get in the Scriptures and I would always, always, always affirm this. And that's where we find Christ and we see His love. But we've got to beg that God through His Spirit would help us see Him more clearly and love Him more passionately. And we've got to get In prayer with Him. We've got to ask of Him to do these things. He's willing. He wants to. Look, I mean, thinking back of verse 16, according to the riches of His glory, of His perfections, of who He is, He wants us to be more like Christ. And when we we don't spend time in prayer, we're missing out of the benefits of communing with God and asking of Him to do things in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want to know the love of Christ. I want to know it more. The breadth and the length and the height and the width. I, I want to know all of it. I want to know it. I'm going to spend eternity with Him. I want to get to know Him even more. Verse 20. 
I love this because Paul doesn't limit God here. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I just love this. Wherever abundantly is, it's like way farther than that. You know, like wherever abundant, it, well, I mean, if you can put abundant, it's, it's beyond that. It's like, it's like he's trying, he's having a hard time even with his words there. It's like far more abundantly. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Beyond what, whatever I can ask of him in prayer, whatever I can think of him, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so my task was to show how prayer elevates God, brings God glory, and it's the good for His people. And I hope that you see just in Paul's prayer that he elevates God where He ought to be. He is the God of all power. He is the God of all riches of His glory. He's the one who's strengthened us. He's the one who's given us His Spirit. He's the one that can make us even see Christ more clearly. God's the one that does that. And that we are to come to Him and ask of Him to do that. And also for our good, because I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded that I need God regularly. That I don't have it figured out. That I don't know from the end, I don't know the beginning to the end. I have no idea what's going to come tomorrow, let alone later tonight. And so prayer humbles us. It absolutely humbles us. And so this evening, I wanted to look at that, but then our series is on the discipline of prayer. And so I looked in the Scriptures. How do, how, what are godly men in the Scriptures? How are they disciplining themselves? If, if prayer is so essential to bringing God glory and getting our hearts right to serve Him, and if God uses that and we want to be more godly and we want to be more like Christ, then what kind of discipline? And so if we look at the second half, the first one, I wrote down is get away. So Psalm 55, 17 says this, As for me, I will call upon God, and Yahweh shall save me. Evening, morning, and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and He shall hear my voice. Daniel 6, 10, Daniel says that he knelt down three times to pray. But turn with me to Mark 1. We're going to look at what Jesus did. There's a couple principles here that's, I think, important for us as we think about the discipline of prayer. Who better can we learn from than our Lord Jesus Christ? We're turning to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Simple verse, but it's great. It says this, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. That's simple. But I think it's very interesting that Jesus, number one, He set time aside. He didn't just, you know, happenstance, you know, I'll just 
pray when I can, but he made an effort to set time aside. It says early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, before you get really scared that I'm going to tell you that you need to get up before it's dark, because that would be really hard for most of us. Uh, It never says that we have certain times where we have to pray. So I'm not saying that it has to be in the morning. But here Jesus does, early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up. He purposed. He made a plan. I'm getting up at this time and I'm going. And now look at the second thing. And He went away to a secluded place. So number two, He set a time and then He got away from other people. He made time and then He was undistracted. And so here's the problem everybody. These things are pretty distracting. Phones and electronics because people can call us or text us at any time or Snapchat or Pinterest or whatever you do on those things. Facebook. It is so distracting. And so here, maybe you need to put in here, got into a secluded place, that means I put my phone outside my room or down on the counter and I spent time praying. Or for me, now that I'm a parent, little Evangeline, I love spending time with her because she makes noise and she just found her tongue the other day so she goes, a lot, you know. And it's fun. And I love it. And she wants to walk around because now she's not come to, I mean, she doesn't want to crawl anymore. So she wants to walk around a lot. And I love it. The only problem is when she's awake, I'm not doing much praying because she's making all kinds of noise and she's now unloading all of her toys out of baskets and she wants to laugh and she wants to play. And so for me, a secluded place means i got to get up before my daughter gets up so that I can spend time in prayer. And maybe that means shutting the TV off or, or shutting the door to your room while your roommates are downstairs or something just so that it can be you and the Lord You can pour out your heart before Him. You can talk to Him what's on your mind. And another scripture that we know of is that we need to pray without ceasing. So regularly prayers. But I'm saying, guys, that if you don't set time aside at some point, I've tried this. This is personal experience. If I don't set time aside, I pretty much forget by the end of the day that I should be praying regularly. I need that discipline. I need to set time aside and even be asking, God, don't let me forget you. I don't want to forget you. Help me to be praying throughout the day. So that first one, get away. Number two, get in the Scriptures. Let it inform what to pray for. Paul, praying for the spiritual being of these new Christians and these dear brothers and sisters. Be praying on those lines. If you know that there is somebody in your life that you're being short and you're, you're kind of getting frustrated at work, I mean, just look in the Scriptures and find, God, that's not how you want me to be. God, help me to be this way. Memorize Scripture. Get into the Scriptures and let it influence what you're praying for. Now, I don't want to be negative about this, but often we pray about physical things and I I don't want us to not pray about physical things, but do we pray enough about the spiritual ones like my dear brother who's struggling and I'm praying for him or that I would be more godly? So let the Scriptures inform you on what to pray. Number three, 
Get lost in praise. I don't know what it is, but saying it with your mouth, saying to my wife, I love her, is different than if I just had it in my heart and I just walked past her and I didn't say anything. I mean, it, she just wouldn't know. I mean, I, hopefully she knows, but, but it's different. But get lost in praise. Say it with your mouth. God, you are so good to me that you have let me live. Read a psalm and David is erupting in praise to God. Let that be a part of your prayer time. Just like Paul in Ephesians. He reminds us, God, I bow my knees before God the Father. I mean, just think about that. Father. We get to call God Father in Christ. He's no longer judge. That should just make us stop and go, Thank you. And that should remind us of the cross and what He's done for us and what He is doing for us. So number three was get lost in praise. Number four is this. Get others focused. Paul regularly, and this is the same as get in the Scriptures to let it inform what you pray, but Paul is regularly praying for these believers. Oh, I thank God in every remembrance of you. I love you. I want you to excel. Be praying for others. And so, I hope that this discipline of prayer and how it brings God glory and it gets our hearts right is helpful. But the conclusion is, if we're going to be talking about discipline, we, you and I have got to make a plan. When are you going to do this? It can't be next week. I mean, look at the sheet at the bottom and say, okay, when do I have time? Maybe you get up really early and so praying in the morning just doesn't work. And that's fine. I'm not saying you have to. But for many of us, that is the best before we get to work. And, I'm, and, and you need to make it a habit. You need to be disciplined here. I need to be disciplined here. So we need to set time aside to get in prayer with God. Whatever that looks like. And number two on your little handout is what things, what areas of your life do you want growth that you need to rely upon God? you need to humble yourself before God? Or what things in your life are so out of control that all you can do is just cry out to God and ask Him for help? And so use that. I hope that that's a helpful tool in order to stir you up for prayer and to be focused, to be disciplined in this area of your life. And so let's pray together since we've been talking about it for so long. God, it is amazing as we look in Your Word that You are such a giving God. That You want us to be more godly. You want us to be like Your Son. And how often I have, I know personally, have forfeited the blessing of being close to You because I have not humbled myself and spent time in prayer with You. God, would You help us in our discipline as a group? God, You don't make prayer legalistic. If we miss a day, You're not angry with us. But God, there is so many beautiful blessings of prayer getting to commune with the God of everything that we see and everything that we know and who gives life to us. What a privilege. What grace. And so God, would you stir in our hearts to be more disciplined? Would you, By your grace, would you help us to get to know you, to make our effort 
to love and to serve you and that our minds and our hearts don't wander from you. God, to you be the glory. And we pray because we recognize that we need you. We recognize that we're just creatures and you are the creator who's blessed forever. Amen.